141 days ago, the NBA world froze. The Utah Jazz and Oklahoma City Thunder were seconds from tip-off when the season was disrupted. 141 long days since a game that matters in the standings has been played. That all ends this afternoon at 4.30 as the Utah Jazz face Zion Williamson, Derek Favors, and the New Orleans Pelicans. Today on Home Court Press, McCade Pearson and I are joined by Elliot Clough, host of the Believe in the Pels pod. Talking numbers and eye test basketball, we discuss keys to this afternoon's game, what Jazz fans can expect from a plucky Pelicans team that was just hitting its stride when the season stopped, and both teams' prospects moving forward in the NBA bubble. All that and more coming up next on Home Court Press. Gobert, the lob, easy, deep three, and coming up short. Brandon Ingram got the go. way. You gotta go in a hurry. Go. Brandon Ingram, all the way to the rack, and oh. that'll do it. Are they calling a foul or not? No. No foul call. No. That's it. And Utah prevails by two. Brandon with two on the clock for the win. Yes, got sir. it! Two tenths yes, of a sir. second to go. Here it comes. They throw it in for Gobert. Go. That'll do it. It is. Oh, wait a minute. They're calling a foul, I believe. One more for Mitchell. And it's over. The Pels prevail at home in overtime over the Utah Jazz and snap Utah's 10 game winning streak. Welcome into Home Court Press. This is your host, Brian Priest, joined once again by Mr. Flint and Steel, McCade Pearson, starting fires all over the place. You know it. And today we have a special guest joining us, Mr. Elliot Clough, host of the Believe in the Pels podcast straight out of New Orleans. Elliot, how are you doing this morning? I am great, Brian McCade. Thanks so much for having me on. Can't forget, also cover the Pels with the Bird Rights SB Nations page. But yes, host of the Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans podcast. Just had McCade on. Excited to preview the game tonight with you guys. We're yeah. doing a little home and home here, and I think I won the road matchups. Now we got to take care of our home court, Brian. <laughs> Let's get it done. I'll defend the basket, and you get out on the perimeter. <laughs> we got numbers over here, <laughs> but no, we got real basketball that counts for real games. I've looked at the standings so much over the last four months. I'm gonna wake up tomorrow morning and be like, "Wait a second, that's not the same thing I've been looking at." There's new information to digest, so I'm super excited to have real stuff to evaluate. Yeah, I can't wait to see games that actually matter in the standings and that we can talk about tomorrow, and it means something. I, I'm pinching myself for this 4.30 tip-off, 5.30 central time for you, Elliot, on TNT. Let's, let's dive right into this. So Jazz and Pelicans, they've played, they've played three games this season so far. Jazz have won two out of the three. The last two of those games were played in New Orleans in the midst of the Jazz arguably their their best stretch of basketball throughout the season, and both ended in controversial fashion. So we'll talk about those real quick. Game one, the Jazz won here in Salt Lake, 128-120. They built a 20-point lead before the, the Pelicans came back. Brandon Ingram really put him on his back and had a great second half. Jazz ended up winning that by eight, but I think this game was just an indication of what these teams are going to be going forward in terms of a matchup. Yeah, right, no favorites yeah. back in that first game, so... We want to see Derek Favors here in Utah, and unfortunately that didn't happen then. That's not happening tonight, but that's good. What were your perspective on the couple games we went up against you? Sure. So first game, we didn't really talk about it too much on yesterday's podcast just because it was so long ago and it wasn't the best that we've seen from the Pelicans. Sure, they clawed back in that one, but they really got hot starting in December, and that, that 
December team, January, February, March, that is what the Pelicans are. And then when you threw Zion into that, hopefully what we're going to see tonight, that is who the Pelicans are. But in that first matchup, uh, I, I, it showed what the, cap- or what the Pels were capable of when the chemistry is rolling, when they have that veteran leadership from guys like J.J., like Derek Favors. But uh, game two and three, again, controversial endings. But yeah. that, that was Pelicans basketball right there. Well, I think fell in both games. I, Rudy Gobert fouled in the first game. I still think he got fouled in the second game. So we're a little off there on the second game. Right. He's all Pelican <laughs> yeah. bias, right? I, but I watched, you're right. Games were great. Both times the Jazz were at the end of a three-game road trip. It was a super weird schedule. We put them twice in ten days at the end of road trips. So, that's it. It was just weird, weird games. But we like weird games. Weird close games are fun to watch. Well, and you guys both brought it up in that game one matchup, and then it happened in both games in New Orleans where neither team was at full strength. The Jazz were without Rudy Gobert in the first game in Salt Lake. The Pelicans were without Derek Favors and Zion Williamson. Jazz have yet to face Zion in a regular season game. Mike Conley missed both games for the Jazz in New Orleans. So tonight, as we watch this, it's really going to be the first time these teams will play each other at close to full strength, but still the Jazz without second-leading scorer Bojan Bogdanovic. Right, and that's a huge, huge piece for the for the Jazz going into tonight because, I mean, as we know, he scored 35 points in that second matchup with, with the uh, Pelicans in on January 6th, and that was the game that the, the Jazz won, in, again, in controversial fashion, but Bojan, 35 points is a lot to be missing out on. And we talked about it yesterday, too. The combination of Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell hasn't been that great so far this season. Both ball-dominant guys. And then for tonight, for the Pels, you throw in Drew Holiday, who arguably an all-defensive team player in the NBA. And I I really think this one is favoring the Pels tonight. So can I ask you a question off that? Sure. We talked about this a tiny bit over on your podcast. How important is tonight's game for the Pelicans versus how important is tonight's game for the Jets? For the Pelicans, I think it's setting a tone for the coming games. Like you said, you think that the, it's not necessarily super important for the Pels just because they have the easiest schedule in the remainder of these eight, eight games uh, comparatively to the other 22 teams or 21 teams. But I think this is really important for setting the tone in terms of, of, uh, of pace of play, of defense, of chemistry, because we, we saw, I mean, we saw a lot of that in the three scrimmages the Pels played, but now it's when it matters. Now it's when the starters are going to play the entire, not the entirety of the game, but the uh, m- more minutes. I think it's more important for the Pels than you alluded to, McCade. Obviously, again, I'm going to be a little more biased, but for the Jazz, I think, it's, I think it's important, too, because it's the start of how do you figure out the lineup without Bojan in it? That is a big question we have. I, I think when we're, we're talking importance of the game to these two teams, I think you have to say it's more important for the Pelicans because just breaking it down simply, the Jazz have clinched a playoff spot. No matter what, if, even if they lose all eight games and everything goes against them in this restart, they're still going to be the seventh seed going into the playoffs. The Pelicans are fighting for a playoff spot. They're on the outside looking in right now. So I think you have to say it's more important for the Pelicans. 
Yeah, and I also, we talked about this a little bit too, but the Jazz, I think, have a chance to overlook this game and focus on the Thunder. That game, not only is a game in the standings, it also decides the tiebreaker. It's also the game that the pregame show has been going on for four and a half months where everything went down for Rudy Gobert. So I fear the Jazz might be looking a little bit ahead past this game. Um, I'm sure they're super pumped for it, especially with the social justice stuff going on. But in the actual basketball sense, I don't know if that urgency is going to be there like the Pelicans, who not only need to stay within four games of Memphis, but they got to outrun the San Antonios, the Portlands, the Phoenixes of the world. And Sacramento. We'll give them some love, too. That's generous of you, McCade. (laughs) All right, Elliot, before we get into our keys to the game, you've been watching this team. You've been following them. You've been podcasting about them all season. How have the Pelicans looked different to you, if at all, in the scrimmages versus what you saw in the regular season? You know, it's tough to tell um, if there's any really drastic differences, mostly because you know, the starters, like I said, they didn't, weren't playing a ton, obviously, because of risk of injury. Obviously, no Zion in the scrimmages, which was the, the biggest difference between with Zion versus without Zion is the amount of three-point shots the Pelicans have taken. Because with Zion down low, eh, the defense kind of collapses because they have to. I mean, he's a bully down there. He's, he's a bull of a human being. The Pelicans took 47 three-point shots against the Bucks in their most recent scrimmage, 28 in the first half. So that's going to be a big, big difference. Also, uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker played a lot, but it's a lot, of, <laughs> it's a lot of the same from what we saw during this regular season, I guess. And from what we've heard from uh, the coaching staff, from, from veterans, Nah has done a lot in these, uh, these practices to lead up to the regular season. So, Maybe he'll get – he was kind of – you know, he was in the G League a little bit this season, wasn't really playing a lot towards the end of what was the season in March. And he's getting a lot of praise from the staff, played a lot in the scrimmages, so maybe he gets some significant minutes here. And it's hard to really take away a lot from the scrimmages because, like I said, no Zion, and he's such a focal point of this team despite only having played 19 NBA games. Yeah, you bring up Nikhil Alexander-Walker. He's a guy I I really liked coming out of the draft in Summer League. He put on a show for the Pelicans down in Las Vegas, but he's also a kid. He's only 21 years old. So I think that he's the type of player who is probably going to benefit the most from this four-month break because the rookies have essentially had an offseason. McCade, what do you think about that? First of all, I just want to ask one word answer, please. Has he ever, like, do Pelicans get frustrated at his shot selection? Oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> like, that guy has never turned down a shot. I mean, we have George no. Clarkson, so we get it. But, <laughs> no, I think you're spot on. There's, There's been an off season, whether we want to admit it or not, unfortunately. There's been an off season. Some young players have an opportunity to make that jump. But whether coaching staff allow that to happen with minutes and stuff like that, we'll see because rosters are still the same. So it's a, the whole world's a fun, complex situation right now. So let's talk keys to the game, shall we? Yeah, let's let's go keys to the game because wins and losses matter. Let's start with the three-point percentage and three-point shooting because um, Elliot just mentioned that a little bit. Okay, let's do it. Let's go there. Sure. So I think it well, it'd be a lot easier to say the keys to the game in reference to three-point shots and some other things if we knew if Zion was going to be playing or not. Game time decision. Uh, I think honestly, before before I say that. Uh, the the three-point thing about Zion, you know, playing tonight. 
I honestly think that was a play by Alvin Gentry that I'd be freaking shocked if he doesn't play. Drop 20-plus. He's going to get minutes tonight. Uh, if he doesn't, New Orleans will be burned to the ground by the end of the night. <laughs> but And they lose, especially. But uh, as far as three-point three point percentage goes, I think – I don't necessarily think the Pels have to make, you know, 40% plus. Obviously, that's ideal. And Zion being on the court helps with that a lot. It helps with shot selection. Also, Zion is very, very underrated as a passer. There's some scrimmage tape, or not necessarily scrimmage tape, but practice tape we got to see of Zion when they were going five-on-five. And there was a pass that he made from the opposite elbow to J.J. in the corner for a three-point shot, and it was just beautiful basketball. You know, the Pelicans... For how young they are, they move the ball so, so well. So three-point percentage, I'd say for in order for them to get the win, I'd like to think that they'd have to get 37% on the night. Obviously, you want to be more than 40%. That's ideal. Uh, Lonzo's shooting really well from the three-point three point shot now as opposed, to, <laughs> as opposed to what it once was, you know, with the Lakers. And then earlier on the season, Fred Vinson is doing wonders for them. And also... Nicole O'Malley, when he and Zion are on the court at the same time, uh, they space the floor so incredibly well. That small ball lineup is lethal. And you talk about what a good passer Zion Williamson is. I, I agree. It's very underrated. Say what you want about Duke basketball, but Mike Krzyzewski teaches the game the right way. And Zion learned a lot in his one year there. He he is a smart player. He's a good passer. And I think he's a guy that's only going to get better going forward. Absolutely. And that's a big difference. You know, I think LeBron, obviously Giannis, I think is clear in the way the MVP for this year, especially if you're a member of the media. That's just the way the media is leaning. But these two are just in another class of their own in the league this year in terms of superstardom because they can do everything. And if Zion really hones that passing ability – He'll be, he'll be in that transcendent level of star going forward in his career. He's got that potential. McCade, what about the Jazz in terms of their three-point shooting? you got to get up attempts. If you don't get up attempts, you might shoot under 25%. You might shoot 50%. But it doesn't matter if you only make six out of 12. So you got to get up attempts. And um, the Pelicans have been doing that in the scrimmages. We saw the Jazz do that as well. They're getting up 45, 50 attempts. I believe 50 of their last 99 field goal attempts have been three-point attempts. So you just got to get the shots up, and enough of them will fall, especially replacing Boy on seven three-point attempts a game. Clarkson's helped with that. Conley's helped with that a little bit. Hopefully Joe Ingles will finally shoot the ball for the first time in his career. Like, just get the shots up, and they'll fall eventually. What about defensively on the perimeter for the Jazz? We know they've got Rudy Gobert defending the basket. Are they going to be able to defend the perimeter effectively and take away the three-point shot from the Pelicans? <laughs> Brandon Ingram scored 49 points last time we played him. So <laughs> no? <laughs> he did, and I watched the replay of the January 16th game last night with that pick and roll that, that the Pels run, and, and Brandon Ingram's kind of at that point forward position. Shot The mid-range shot was open all night. Our, our color guy, Antonio Daniels, hammered that over and over and over that shot is wide open every single time, especially for a guy like Brandon Ingram who has that length and knows how to get to his spot. And he's just I, – I wouldn't be shocked if he drops 30-plus tonight. Rudy Gobert is the best player in the NBA at bending opponent's shot chart. He forces mid-range shots. The Jazz are the only team in the top five at defending the rim and defending the three-point line. 
which means they let up a million mid-range shots, which is great if you're still making them uncomfortable. If you're letting the Chris Pauls and Brandon Ingrams of the world walk into them and taking them uncontested just because the analytics say it's a mid-range shot, that's not doing anything. You still have to make those shots as uncomfortable as they should be. Brandon Ingram is a menace when it comes to facing the Jazz, not only just because of his his leap from the first three years in his career with the Lakers to what he's become this year with the Pelicans, uh, you know, in the running for most improved player, but his length compared to what the Jazz have defensively to throw at him. Royce O'Neal is probably the Jazz' best perimeter defender, but he's not even close to as long as Brandon Ingram. Ingram's Six foot nine with a seven foot plus wingspan, he can get his shot off over almost anybody. And then you put a, you know, slower Royce O'Neal, incredibly strong, but he's only six foot four. It's almost impossible for the Jazz to defend. And McCade, you talk about that mid range shot, and Ingram just eight and eight and eight in the mid range in all three games. Yeah, no. So you probably got to put Royce on favor. Gobert on Zion and Joe Ingles on Brandon Ingram would be my best guess, but that's going to be a work in progress. We're going to have to figure out in the first couple quarters. Yeah, definitely. So that we'll see how that goes. Sound ideal. (laughs) (laughs) Elliot went by twenty-five. Yeah. (laughs) Elliot, in your podcast yesterday, you talked about one of your keys to the game was the Pelicans getting out in transition, playing fast, and trying to control the pace. Tell me about that. Right. So, as McCade has done so eloquently, uh, he, he's explained it so well, is that Rudy Gobert is, if not the top defender in the league, I know McCade uh, gave the, gave the, uh, would give the award to, to Giannis as far as defensive player of the year, and justifiably so. But Gobert is going to be top three year after year after year. I mean, he won it the last two years. The last thing you want to do in a situation like that is let the Jazz's defense get set. So, and, and on top of that, the Pelicans are just a pace. They, they, they run up and down the floor on you. And with Lonzo at point guard, and, I mean, the combination of Zion and Lonzo in transition is beautiful. I mean, we've seen almost full-court passes from – full-court lobs from Z- Alonzo to Zion this year, and for good reason. This, this Pelicans team is so good at running the floor. It's so conducive to what Alvin Gentry wants to do. Lonzo's the perfect point guard for Alvin Gentry's system. And the Pels just, like, they flourish when they can run up and down the floor, don't have to set up the offense. Lonzo's great at distributing the ball, but if he can, if, if the Pels can get going in transition as opposed to setting up the offense, he's that much better. I think you said it perfectly. The Jazz got to get back on defense, and that starts with making shots. If you can make your shot, it gives you time to get back on defense, which is why we see runs happen is kind of the logic behind that. So, because this is the thing with Zion is they don't foul at all with Zion on the court. They don't, they do everything well with Zion on the court. It's ridiculous. Go look at the numbers. It's (laughs) insane. But because they don't foul with Zion on the court, they're able to get out and run more because they're not sitting there with free throws that are usually made baskets and all that fun stuff. So the Jazz, I think, have to get to the free throw line to counter that. Specifically, Rudy Gobert with his 750 free throw rate has to get his 10 free throw attempts, mm-hmm. or else you're going to get stuck in transition. I know the Jazz have been saying they want to run the last couple of weeks, but I just don't buy it, and I don't like it, especially against a team like the Pelicans. I th- I think Quinn Snyder for the last three years has talked about speeding up the offense, and 
<laughs> less so than speeding up the offense. What they're trying to do is, I think they're trying to get the ball into the front court and initiate the offense faster. They're not necessarily trying to play faster. And so I think yeah. there's a, a discrepancy there. That. Their passes sometimes just don't have purpose, and then there's 12 seconds left by the time they start Quinn's complicated offense. And Yes. Yeah, that's what you don't want. Okay, so um, Pelicans get out in transition. They start running. And, and Elliot, you mentioned that the last thing you want to do is face the Jazz half-court defense for 48 minutes. But one of the one of the struggles the Jazz have had this season is defensive rebounding. There's a lot of numbers that indicate when the Jazz are able to attack the defensive glass from all five positions, they're much more successful. And obviously, any team in the NBA is, but the Jazz even more so because they're so much smaller than most of their opponents. Besides Rudy Gobert. They're not starting anyone over six foot seven. So, McCade, you've looked into some of those defensive rebounding numbers. Go ahead and talk to us about that. Yeah, it's weird because I've my big uh, whoa moment of the last couple months is realized why do we use season averages instead of box plots of games? Because games are what are won. You don't win a season; you win a game. So, the Jazz defensive rebounding is huge. One thing I've noticed over the last couple months is season averages are for seasons, but you win individual games. So looking at the, for lack of a better term, the box plot of game by game can give you a better idea of how a team's doing. The Jazz have a pretty solid threshold of what they need to do defensive rebounding, and that is at 72.5-ish percent. They are 29 and 11 when they're above that mark, and they're 12 and 12 when they're below it. League average is about 77.5%. So they don't have to be average. They can be rough. Well, they can't be as bad. And that's happened a little too much. And as I said, those 24 games, they had these games where they go out and they put up crazy high numbers, like 90, 95%. Yeah. And they had these games where they struggle hit 60%. They're five and five above a certain mark. I think it's about 85%. So being elite at it doesn't really help the Jazz a lot. They just have to be solid. They just can't let it be the reason why they lose. And there's scrimmages, but we have seen indications that the, the Jazz are focusing on that defensive rebounding. We, we saw all five starters the other night get, I believe, at least four rebounds. So that's hopefully a sign of things to continue. Royce O'Neal is an elite defensive rebounder at 6'4", but an elite defensive rebounder at 6'4", is not a Derek favorite the power forward. So he still has to attack the glass, and he has to be a big part of that. Uh, thing with Joe Ingles, and one of the things the Jazz love to do, and I'm still a little shaky about it, is whoever gets the rebound, they run across half court. Yes. Unless it's Rudy. Um, Rudy likes to do it sometimes, so, too, and it's terrifying. <laughs> so, but I think, so it's important for Joe really to attack the glass and step up his game a little bit there. So yeah, defensive rebound is definitely one of the keys, not to the Pelicans game, but to this whole restart. Not that Boyan was great at it, but Boyan was a solid 6'8". So it helps a little bit. So talking about Bojan there, obviously it's a big loss for the Jazz in terms of scoring, but when you look at this Jazz roster, I think one of the biggest holes without Bojan Bogdanovic, and you could even say it was, you could call it a minus with Bojan healthy, the power forward position. And I know, Elliot, you talked a little bit about that, how you you want the, the Pelicans to use their personnel and try and take advantage of that power forward position. Right, and I, I mean, we talked about it with, with matchups going into this one. Zion can ex- 
expose this team at that at that four position. And like I don't just I have no idea who will stop him, especially if if Rudy's off the court. Like Tony Bradley's he's okay. I mean he's long, he's he's a big body, and but I just don't know what they're gonna do. I mean, like you said, Royce O'Neal six four. He's he's a, a, a strong player, a tough player, but he's not Zion. He's not six six. You know, two sixty, and. I just don't know what the what the Jazz will do at that position. As far as without Zion, the the four positions kind of wishy washy for for the Pels. We've seen Melly start in that position. He's not he's not necessarily a yeah, he's not a tough guy. He's a shooter. He's, he's good in the corner. Um, right, I will say right, the Jazz exactly. don't have any power forwards. It's a big struggle across the whole league right now. So right. we're moving away from that. Go ahead, right. though. <laughs> But anyway, you know, if there's a way to go at that four position, if Zion doesn't play, it's probably going to just be. I'd like to think that they start Josh Hart instead of Nicolo Melli. I called it you know, a few weeks ago that that Melli would start in place of Zion, but I would prefer that that Josh Hart comes in, plays the three, and Brandon Ingram plays the four. I'm a huge Josh Hart guy. I love his game. I love his capabilities defensively. Is he Drew Holiday? No. But he's he's a dog. He's he's kind of our our version of Royce O'Neal. He's he's a, a get after it every single night, no matter what, no matter who he's playing against. Um, so so I'd like to see Josh Hart start if if Zion is is unable to go. What about a, a rookie like Jackson Hayes? Is he someone that's going to be playable in these reseeding games as we go into it? I mean, looking at his numbers right now, he's averaged 17 minutes per game on the season, but. He's tall. He's got no weight to him. He's wispy in the paint. So, is he someone they can count on to take a few of those center minutes? That's that's the question. Uh, I was actually going to reference it earlier on. What we were hoping would be the difference, a big difference in these scrimmages and over these four months, is that Hayes said, "I've got four months to learn defensive positioning and not just rely on my athleticism." and not get lost on the defensive end of the floor and work on my awareness. And that is exactly the opposite of what he did. They were asked in before, I think, the first game, uh, so what have you done to adjust defensively on the NBA or at the NBA level as opposed to the college level? And he said, I don't think I really have a problem with that. And I think every Ooh. single Pelicans fan inserted face palm. It was just like, come <laughs> on, man. Like, have some awareness, bro. And, That's concerning. Yeah. So it's... He has an incredibly, incredibly high ceiling. They've been working on his jump shot, too. So if he become a stretch five, stretch four kind of guy, he, he's got a lot of potential there. Mm-hmm. He's incredibly athletic, like you said, incredibly long. Um, some of his dunks this season have been absolutely insane. That put back against the Bulls. I think a lot of us have seen that gif of J.J. Redick you know, clenching his fist with that shocked face. Um, <laughs> so Hayes can play decent minute he can he's become so much more confident in the pick and roll so much more confident on just the offensive side of the ball in general but he is a weak spot on the defensive end of the floor and he's just like it's like he's afraid to throw his body around I mean the Pels in in the second scrimmage against the Nuggets Zylan Cheatham who's a two-way guy came in and got 10 boards and I'm pretty sure I, I don't know the exact stats for for Jackson Hayes in that one, but he played a lot of minutes, and I'm pretty sure he had, like, five. Like, I, it's, it's just, like, mind-boggling that he hasn't been instituting that part of his game, or, like, 
at least working on that part of his game because you guys know Derek Favors. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like he's going to take time to to learn, like, to teach Jackson Hayes some of this stuff. Like, Favors is, an, one, an incredible guy. Two, great on the defensive end of the floor, knows how to throw his weight around. And, man, that, okay, clearly this is a, a point of frustration for, for not just me, but Pels fans in general. <laughs> and I would be surprised. I mean, you know, Fave only played 24 minutes a game this year. I think he's in better fitness now that we're, we're far removed from the passing of his mom, um, which is so sad. You know, he had to miss all those games. Yeah. He looked like an old 28-year-old this year. Uh, and I think he's in better fitness now. I think he's better mentally now. So I think he can get closer to those 30 minutes a game. But one way or another, especially if Zion doesn't play, if the Pels don't go small ball, Jackson Hayes is going to have to play some minutes. And he's going to have to play quality minutes. I'll tell you two things here. One, Derek Favors. I love Derek Favors, and I always will. I, I'm sad that we loaned him to you for this season because I'm pretty <laughs> sure he's re-signing with the Jazz next year. He was. Did you see he was on local radio yesterday? No, I didn't see that. Uh, he was on Spence Checkit Show. Tony Jones is hosting it. And- yeah, he was on local radio for like half an hour yesterday, so he's coming back. Don't worry. He, he <laughs> loves Utah, but you don't want Derek Favors to play – Anything over thirty minutes, he just his right. his body can't handle those minutes. But in terms of Jackson Hayes, the last thing I have there, and I'm not advocating this because I'm a Jazz fan, and and you mentioned his incredibly high potential and ceiling, but I think Jackson Hayes is a guy who would benefit a lot from one of those Carl Malone summer boot camps where Malone just <laughs> beats the hell out of him and takes him into the weight room every day and teaches him how to how to play in the post. Hey, Malone's down in Louisiana. That. Yeah, he's, uh, he's real close. No, but to the Jackson Hayes thing, I think you had it spot on. We saw that at the end of the Jazz Pelicans game. We were down one with yep. 0.2 to go, and Hayes let Gobert walk right past him and then just pulled on his jersey when the game was over. He gave us a second chance. We didn't take advantage of the second chance. But whether you think that was a foul or not, it was obvious that Hayes didn't do a good enough job getting in position and using his body. Instead, he used his hands to grab a jersey. Yep. And that's little and things like that that you just can't let happen. So. Drives you crazy. Drives you crazy. And I'll say this, too. <laughs> I, I, I don't foresee this happening, but Jaleel Okafor has put in a lot of work this, over this hiatus, too. He's lost some weight. And we've seen him in, in nights where the starters weren't available, where, where Derek Favors wasn't a fair, available. In, in the game against the Pistons, he had 25 and, I think, 12. And, you know, it's the Pistons. I'll give you that. But Jaleel Okafor... He's looking really good. He looks super smooth in the scrimmages. I don't think he's, he's going to play a ton of minutes, but, he's, yeah. He's probably a good jump start guy if you guys are down 10-15 and need to score some points. Because sure. mm-hmm. if you can get lucky on the defensive end, he can bring you back. Yeah, Definitely. he can be instant Definitely. instant offense. But last, last key to the game here for the Jazz, we've talked a lot about Zion Williamson and how the Jazz are going to be able to defend him, what they can throw at Zion, especially on the perimeter. I think, McCade, you and I agree that it's probably going to be Rudy Gobert as the primary defender against Zion Williamson. And if Zion goes out on the perimeter, you're going to see Rudy in isolation a lot. Rudy has gotten criticism over the years for not being a good isolation perimeter defensive player, but the numbers don't reflect that. Can you tell me what you've seen there? Yes, Rudy Gobert isolation defense is crazy. So, first of all, let's be clear. Isolation is not really a thing in the NBA right now. 
only three players have defended 100 possessions. James Harden has run like 850 possessions. But outside of him, it's still pretty rare. But Gobert is the best isolation defender in the league. Among players with 50-plus isolations defended, he's second. He only allows 0.64 points per play, which is just crazy. League average is 0.91. That's what Donovan's at. James Harden averages 1.12. And so not only, as I said, is Rudy the top quantity guy, he's the second quality guy among 50-plus possessions, which is, as I said, it's insane. It's super nice to have. It's really where he's developed his game the most. Everyone remembers that Steph Curry play from like four years ago now where he turned him around and whatnot. Like that was four years ago, and that was Steph Curry. The progress has been made, so we're not terrified to let Gobert out on a Goran Dragic we saw on Saturday a couple of times and some other guys. We had that play against Dallas back in mid-January. You know, we're at one two-point game, 15 seconds left, and Rudy guards three players at once, gets caught out of the perimeter, turns around, catches Goran right as he lays up the game, tying layup, and just swaps it away. Like, he's there. Um, if you want to compare to league average, here's an interesting fact for you that I don't, I don't necessarily believe because of sample size and James Harness being insane, but Rudy Gobert is plus 0.26 on defense. Harden is plus 0.21 per play on offense. So theoretically, if you want to ignore James Harden doing it 850 times, Rudy Gobert is impactful, is as impactful on isolation defense as Harden is on isolation offense. As again, per play, He's only allowing players to shoot 27% on these isolations. Like, it's insane. It, I, it does not fear me at all in general. Now, can a guy like Zion take advantage of that and be a little bit better? We'll see. Zion is, a lot, is similar to Julius Randle, and Julius Randle's given Rudy Gobert fits for years just because he's so big, so strong. And if you can get into Rudy Gobert and, like, use that strength, there can be some issues there. We'll have to see how it goes with this young rookie and Rudy Gobert. So Zion and... isn't Julius Randle, I'm telling you that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, first of all, I'm a huge Julius Randle lover. Second of all, Zion's a million times better. Like, I'm yeah. <laughs> thinking about going to Vegas and throwing down some money on Zion for MVP next year because he's just that great. But Zion is that big muscle man kind of ball in hand four that's just like, I'm going to get to the room whenever I want because I don't care. Right. Right. And that's the kind of player that gives Rudy problems. Yeah. I To sum that up, the Rudy Gobert being a poor defender on the perimeter narrative needs to die, and it needs to die immediately. It's just not and, fact. No, and you've seen it this year. Teams have tried to go at it. It's what's led Gobert to be the number one in quantity at 107 possessions faced. And so teams are still trying to do it, and it's just not working at all. As I said, we saw it four or five times over the scrimmages. It just doesn't work. Okay, I think we've broken this game down enough at this point. Let's go predictions. McCade, do you want to lead us off? Yeah, I think if it's a close game, I don't have confidence in the Jazz to pull it out without Boyan. He's kind of our go-to guy in the clutch. And the Jazz have really struggled without him the last two, three years. They've been terrible in the clutch. And so if it's a two-point game with two minutes to go, I'm not liking our chances. I do think the Jazz are a lot more likely to blow out the Pelicans than the Pelicans are to blow us out. But I'm expecting a close game. I'm expecting the Jazz to kind of overlook it ahead to Saturday's game. And so I think there's a good chance the Pelicans eat this one out. As I said, though, if the Jazz can get up early and get up on their feet and gain a 10, 15, 20-point lead, 
then I, I feel confident in being able to hold such a lead. And Elliot, how about on the Pelicans' side? Well, I, uh, assuming Zion plays, I tweeted it, out, uh, tweeted it out this morning. I have full confidence in, in the Pelicans. And I, I said it. I'm sure you guys aren't going to like it. But I said 123 <laughs> to 108 Pelicans win if Zion plays. If he does not 23? play. I'd, yep, 123 to 108. And if he does not play, I would probably gen t- or, uh, would probably lean towards the closer game. Pro- I'm going to say Pelicans by probably four or five if he does not play. Man, I'd rather lose 96 to 54 than that score. <laughs> We've seen that, McCade. I didn't like that one. Yeah, that would happen in the NBA Finals. So, uh. <laughs> What about going forward, Elliot? How do you imagine this eight-game restart playing out for the Pelicans? They were one of the hottest teams in basketball before the shutdown. Can they get it going again and make a play for the eight seed? Right. So something that it's an article that I put together, and, and it's a little bit different now, again, with where Zion's at. We just, we just don't know where he's at, you know, with coming off that family thing that, that he went through in terms of his fitness. But I wrote an article for the Bird Rights that said, the Pelicans won't pick up where they left off. They'll be better. And I'm going to say that they probably would have to go 6-2 and two in order to get into the playoffs, but I would not be shocked if they go 7-1. and one. Not necessarily 8-0 because, you know, they're going to match up with, again, tonight, the Jazz, and then in their next game, the Clippers. And those aren't going to be easy contests to win. But this schedule paired with the way that the Pelicans have looked, I think it's I, – I, I'm not going to say that I 100% guarantee they get the eighth seed, but I have very little confidence in Memphis. I'm going to say – and I said it on a podcast earlier, I think this week, I feel I've got an 80% belief that the Pels get the eighth seed going into the playoffs. Going into the playoffs or going into the play-in? Well, the play-in, yeah. So you think they'll have that, for lack of a better term, 1-0 lead in that best-of-three series? Yep. Is basically how it is. Um, what do you think of that? Because you know, I think it's cool as just a casual, and I'm not, let me be clear, I'm not a casual NBA fan, but from a casual outsider's perspective, um, I like the idea of the best-of-three, but start with a 1-0 lead that they're doing. What is your opinion as outside looking in and thinking, okay, we're going to have to beat the Grizzlies basically three times probably, for sure, twice. Right. Basically, three times, right. depending on how your uh, seating game goes. Right. I think it was really the only fair way to do it. I think they, the NBA needed to give the Pelicans a chance to get in. I think they needed to reward the Grizzlies, even though their schedule was way less difficult than the Pelicans, especially early on. I'm going to go ahead and cite that six and twenty-two record to start the season for the Pelicans. <laughs> yep. But and that was there were multiple factors in that. But I think it was really the only fair way to do it, to give credence to that record that the Grizzlies currently have, but also give the, the credence to the Pelicans for the way they were playing towards the end, the way that they'll be playing in these coming eight games. Yeah, because it doesn't matter who it is. I'm assuming it's either going to be the Blazers or Pelicans. Is that fair? Um, and I'm assuming the Grizzlies can't pick up enough wins just to get it outright because their schedule's nuts. But whoever it is between the Blazers and Pelicans, they're going to be favored against the Grizzlies, but even a small favorite twice is an underdog big picture. So I think it's a brilliant idea. We'll see how it works out. Um, because, yeah, I think you end up being favored in the first game, 
and then favored in the second game. But you combine the two, and it's not great. So I think they did a good job from my uh, nerd math perspective. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we have two votes for the Pelicans winning tonight. Is that right? No, no, no. Mark me down as the Jazz. I don't want my Twitter mentions blown up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, McCade. Well, I'll take the I'll take the hits for you. I look at this Jazz team, and and I just feel like this iteration of Utah Jazz basketball, they they have a have a habit of shrinking when the moment gets big this season. In terms of this game, I've got the Jazz starting slow. I think they're going to struggle to find their bearings in the first eight to eight minutes to maybe the the first quarter in general. There's going to be defensive lapses on the perimeter. We've seen those things all season. We're going to see it again early in this game especially, and it's going to leave Rudy hanging out to dry near the basket. And it's going to be frustrating to watch for Jazz fans. I see him falling behind 12 to 15 points pretty early in this game. I do think they're going to make a second-half run. They'll, they'll make it a closer game, but I've got the Pelicans winning by seven. That's primarily going to be on the back of their defense and three-point shooting. But with that being said, I have a lot more confidence in this Jazz team today than I did a week ago before the three scrimmages because I did like a lot of the the signs I felt like I was seeing in those games. The defensive rebounding. I do think the perimeter defense is going to improve a little bit. Rudy seems to be a lot more understanding and quiet near the basket and not quite as demonstrative. That's something that he's talked about and does help build confidence with the entire team. So I think after they lose this game against the Pelicans, they're going to go on to beat OKC on Saturday. That's a huge game you've talked about a lot, McCade. And then I think they're going to end up 5-3 and three overall in this restart. They're going to beat OKC, as I mentioned. I think they'll beat Memphis. They better beat the Spurs twice. And I think by the time they play the Mavericks, the, the Mavericks aren't going to have anything to play for, and we're likely to beat them as well. So I've got Sam, the Jazz 5-3 and three and staying in the four spot. Really? I do. I said, he asked me the other day, and I said, we're going to be the five seed because that's what we've been every year of my life. Um, <laughs> no, I think you're spot on, though. This, the Jazz, I think, have a chance to overlook this game. I'll ask you one more question. We've seen Donovan be kind of, I don't want to say conservative, but he's definitely been relaxed, backseat, comfortable, these three scrimmages. Do we see the Donovan Mitchell that takes 25 shots attempts, or the 25 shot attempts, and does that go well? I think in the type of game we're going to see today, probably so. With the Jazz falling behind and the game mattering, I, I think you're going to see Donovan force more shots than we've seen from the three scrimmages. I don't think it's necessarily going to be a negative thing because I, I do think his passing has improved as well. So really, we're going to see a lot more with the ball in Donovan's hands. That's something you don't necessarily like, McCade. I know you you love him as a spot-up shooter playing off the ball with Mike Connolly running the point, but that's that's just kind of how I see it. I think you're going to see more consistently the ball will be in Donovan's hands initiating the offense and, and really running everything through him. I can agree with that. All right. Do we have anything else? I'm good. Um, no, I think we're good. I'm, there's basketball tonight. Yeah. Like, no matter what happens, there is real important basketball tonight, and that's what we're all love to see regardless of the outcome. Just, it's kind of weird. This uh, whole thing has kind of brought all the fans closer together, and we don't hate other teams as much as we used to. Because now we're all just excited to watch regardless. So. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of kumbaya going on. Well, Elliot, 
Huge thank you to you. Really appreciate you coming on Home Court Press today. Where can the listeners find you? For sure. So I'm on Twitter. It is my first and last name, E-L-I-O-T, B-L-O-U-G-H. And, of course, you can always find Believe. And we are with a podcast network, so it's E-L-E-A-V. Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans. We're on any any platform that you listen to podcasts. So Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. So, and if you want to read any of my articles as well pertaining to the Pelicans, you can always just head over to my Twitter at Elliot Clough. Perfect. Thank you, McCade. Where can they find you? At McCade P A. That's M C C A D E P A. At this point, you know what to do. Always hey. want to talk. And oh my gosh, I almost forgot Flint and Steel. Do you have one for us? No, it sounds like you took it away when you said the Jazz are going to lose by seven. <laughs> That's the fire right there. I ruined it. I put the fire out. No, you started it. You got to take responsibility for it now. All right. I, I'll take the fire today. That's on me. So this is your host, Brian Priest. Find me on Twitter at bpriest24. That's at B-P-R-E-E-C-E-24. You've been listening to Home Court Press. Uh, Have a great afternoon. NBA basketball matters, and go Jazz.